Have you ever struggled to forgive someone? In Genesis 45, we see that love is a supernatural grace enabling believers to forgive even when deeply wounded. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend Throughout Genesis 42, 43, and 44, we've learned of Joseph testing his brothers to deepen their repentance and to see if they possessed a genuine love for their father and, of course, for their brother Benjamin. Well, after witnessing Judah's impassioned appeal, Joseph is finally done with his tests. In verses 1 through 15, Joseph clears the room of all Egyptians and reveals his true identity to his brothers, weeping, of course, as he does so. Joseph is the first of the weeping prophets in the Bible. His tears are recorded for us in five separate chapters, and we find him weeping even more than that. The brothers, of course, are stunned and in a state of fear and shock. For the first time, they hear this governor of Egypt speak in Hebrew, and the first words out of his mouth are, I am Joseph. He then compounds his brotherhood with them by asking after the well-being of his father. But his brothers are in a state of psychological shock. Joseph calls them near and seeks to put their mind at ease, stating that God has been in control of all that has happened. From verse 9 then, Joseph launches into an exhortation that expresses his desire for the family to be reunited in Egypt. There he can provide for all of his brothers, their families, and their father. Having said what was on his heart, he then embraces and weeps over Benjamin and all his brothers. From verse 16 through 20, we learn that the news of this emotional reunion spreads throughout all of Pharaoh's court and finally comes to the ears of Pharaoh bringing delight to him as well. This would be a reminder to Moses' generation reading this that their beginnings in Egypt were favorable. And so Pharaoh formally invites Jacob to Egypt, even providing wagons for the journey. Now, across the landscape of Egypt, these wagons would have worked well, but I sometimes wonder exactly how they would have traversed the more hilly region of Canaan. In verse 21 through 28, although the term is used in Genesis in chapter 32 and 36, this is the first time that Jacob's sons are referred to as, quote, the children of Israel. To be used at such a turning point seems to be significant in relation to God's purpose for this family. And so the brothers return to Jacob, and they do so with special garments and 20 donkeys loaded up with provisions. When they arrive, their words are almost impossible for Jacob to believe. Joseph is yet alive. Jacob is struggling to believe what he hears but the wagons function as an aid to his trust. And so seeing them, Jacob resolves to see his long-lost son before he dies. And so we come to application. One, forgiveness before God requires a substitute. We noted in the previous chapter how Judah stands as a substitute for Benjamin. Now, reflecting on this properly in terms of the gospel, we see how Joseph's response reflects the grounds of forgiveness before God, because in order for you to have your sins forgiven, you must have a substitute. 
And this is what Judah reflects. He was willing to suffer as a substitute for a crime he did not commit so that everyone was forgiven of the crime that they did commit. See how Joseph then instantly pardons his brothers for their act of wickedness towards him. This is the gospel. This is why Christ comes. He comes as a substitute. He bears our sins on his own body on the tree to deliver us from the judgment we deserve. Two, the doctrine of God's providence gives a sure footing for the exercise of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not easy for any of us. And we live in a world where siblings will not forgive because one was left a larger inheritance than them or because a vote didn't go their way in some decision that was made or because a spouse doesn't live up to the expectations and so on and so forth. Now, there may be sin involved in those things, but if you have this sense of bitterness against someone, let me ask you, were you ever sold as a slave? I mean, think about it. There was a distinct possibility that Joseph would die in Egypt, that he would be abused, worked to death. And while he survived, he had quite the ordeal for 13 years. I mean, he was only 17 when this all began. And yet his trust in the doctrine of God's providence allows him to say, God did send me before you to preserve life. Think of that. Christian, you can take the most difficult experience of your life and you can begin that story. If you trust God like Joseph did, begin that story with God did. Bottom line, this is faith in action. And when we refuse to begin our story, God did. It's really just unbelief functioning in our hearts. Three, Christ desires fellowship with his people. As Joseph forgives his brothers, he invites them to come near to him. Note that in the chapter. No grudges, no upbraiding. This is a tremendous reminder that when we come penitently to God through Christ, there's no lingering animosity. There's no generational curses. Maybe I'm speaking to one and that's what you believe about yourself. You're struggling to believe that God has fully forgiven. And you live your life under this cloud that lingers wondering what it is that God has against you. Oh, see in Joseph a picture of your precious Redeemer. Note, note how he loves them and embraces them. And then note how when his brothers go back to Jacob, they never mention the sin of what they did to Joseph. It never comes up. And so here you see how Christ deals with our sins so that when we come before the Father, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There's no word against us. Four, man's greatest need is a new garment. Remember how Joseph had his coat that his father gave to him, taken by his jealous brothers, and then some other garment that he was given, no doubt indicating his authority in Potiphar's house, and that was stolen from him, taken from him by the vindictive wife of Potiphar. Now he's been clothed with glory by Pharaoh, and in his position of authority, he is able to bless his brothers with clothing. What a picture of man in his sin. And he requires the humbling of the Son of God, who is divested of his glory. He's mistreated. He is stripped by man of his garments. But finally, because of his obedience, he resumes a place that allows him in authority to confer on believing penitent sinners 
the garments of salvation. <laughs> this is wonderful. Praise God for the gospel. Five, God's people must be aware of the constant threat of division. Despite the elevated joy of the occasion, Joseph very perceptively warns his brothers before they leave, see that ye fall not out by the way. It's as if he's preempting a session of finger pointing as they make their way back to Canaan. Could blame be cast at some brothers more than at others because of what had happened? No doubt. But what's the use? They've all expressed their repentance. They all sense the wrong of what had been done. So why cause more division? Christian, we need to have a holy fear of division. Now, there are times where we have to fight a cause, but too often it's about hurt feelings. It's about some grievance that we just need to let go of. Try to maintain unity among the brethren. It's where we are unified that God commands blessing. And we need to fight for that where we can. And finally, good news ought to be shared with others. Joseph said, he shall tell my father of all my glory. And so the brothers return to Jacob. They inform him that Joseph is alive. He's not just alive, he's one of the most powerful men in the world. Now, since Jacob believed Joseph was dead, this report, it's like a resurrection message. Like Thomas, Jacob struggles to believe until he sees evidence that strengthens his fainting heart. Seen in this light, Joseph is like Christ, and he depicts a kind of firstfruits where he's in Egypt before others and he is leading the way before everyone else makes their way into a land that promises all the provision that they need. How does everyone come to be there? Because of the heavenly Joseph. Now let me say to the children, let me ask you children, you believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again, don't you? But have you repented of your sin? Do you believe to the saving of your soul? This is crucial, boys and girls. And I trust that you'll talk to mom, to dad, about how it is you can have your sins forgiven and make sure you go with everyone who's going to that place that will provide for them, that the heavenly Joseph has opened up to them, that meets the need of every penitent sinner.